Again, our text today is Exodus chapter 6, uh, 14 through 30. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanach, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shemai, by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mahli and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elishaba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nasha. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel. And she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story that you have given us, um, the setting in which you have Placed our lives, and though we tend to only be able to see and pay attention to what's on the surface of our daily lives, we pray, Father, that you would grant us the grace to pay more attention to the background and to the setting and to the stage uh, in which you have called us to live, uh, as well as um, to the calling itself uh, that we are required to do certain things in this world. We pray, Father, that uh, by your Holy Spirit, You would make us a people who are called out. Um, And uh, we know, Father, that Pharaoh will do all that you tell him to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's do a little bit of review here quick. 
Um, how many years between the promise to Abraham and the Exodus? Four hundred. Four hundred years from the promise to Abraham to the Exodus. Um, now, how many years? Um, let's see here. How old was Moses when God called him to deliver his people? Eighty years old. You can shout it out. It's okay. There's just a few of us here. Uh, can you name Moses' two sons? You can name one of them? What? No? Moses Jr.? <laughs> Gershom and Eliezer. Okay. How about his wife? Zipporah. Zipporah. Good. Last week we learned that the people of Israel would not listen to Moses... They would not hear what God was telling them because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. In despair, they turned their back on God to wallow in self-pity and dark thoughts. We all know something about a broken spirit, about depression and despair, about how, as the psalmist says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let's remember the words of um, Psalm 89, which we looked at uh, a few weeks back. Essentially, I'm going to paraphrase here. Lord, where are you? Why have you forsaken your covenant? Where is your steadfast love of old? We need to learn to grumble like Christians. And this is a place where God gives us, in fact, he invites us to grumble. Remember, remember we talked about how covenant is an invitation to grumble, <laughs> sort of. Uh, it's an invitation to relationship with him. Um, it is on the basis of the covenant that you see over and over again uh, the people of God cry out to him to be faithful to his covenant. Lord, remember your covenant. Remember what you promised. Where are you, Lord? Do something We can talk to the Lord like this because we are invited to. Um, He will deal with us if we are disrespectful. But we need to learn to grumble like Christians. There is a selfish despair and there is holy despair. Um, And I I put those two words together uh, rather cautiously. uh, Holy despair. Because in one sense, despair is to turn your back on God, right? Right? Um, but a hunger and thirst for righteousness that increasing or continually is not satisfied, right? If you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness and it just seems to, the land just seems to be getting drier and drier, right? There's no righteousness. I can't find righteousness anywhere. I can't find, um, you know, where is the goodness of the Lord? That kind of thing. That is, uh, that can you, can, you can get into a kind of a holy depression, Many of the prophets are like that. Um, They they want to see something happen and it just isn't happening. Uh, But there is a selfish despair and our call to confession today pointed that out. As James says in in James chapter 4, you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
A person who is only moved by his selfish desires, who becomes depressed and despairs because he cannot have what he wants for his personal enjoyment, James also says, this person is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Um, Such a person, person should not expect sympathy from God on that account. God's not going to be sympathetic uh, because you are depressed, because you can't have what you want. Okay. However, if you do have a, uh, a righteous despair, a righteous frustration, um, <clears throat> that's another matter altogether. How many of the Hebrews in Egypt were like this, simply depressed because they couldn't get what they wanted for themselves without concern for the covenant? We're told that their spirit was broken. We're not told entirely uh, why. Um, and I imagine it was a mixed bag. How many would have been content to stay in Egypt if they could get a 40-hour work week with decent benefits? If they could have the best and coolest chariots and were given regular access to all of Egypt's entertainment channels? Would they have wanted to leave then? <clears throat> Would they, uh, would they have willingly forsaken and forgotten God's covenant and the dominion mandate? Oh yes, remember that? The dominion mandate? The text says, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit. What kind of Israelite are you? Is the covenant of God with his people to save the world the center of your longing, your hopes? Or are you merely depressed because you can't have things your way? Too many Christians have no idea what a covenant is. This is unfortunately true. Too many Christians don't, that that word is almost not in their vocabulary, covenant. Nor are they aware of the dominion mandate and how God's covenant with his people is the only means to truly make the world a better place. The majority of Christians, I suggest to you, at least in the West, are consumed individualists. Uh, they'll take Jesus as a, as, a, as a blessing on their own lives, but they don't have very much understanding about what the covenant is or what dominion, uh, the dominion mandate is all about. <clears throat> as Paul says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So before we go on in the text, let's make sure we grasp this important concept that is the foundation of life as human beings and as God's people. Let's also remember that this is the text or the context and the setting for their story, that is the Exodus story, and ours, okay? The dominion mandate you can find in Genesis 1, 28, the dominion mandate. That is sort of the first command Uh, given to mankind. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Have dominion. Dominion means rule, authority, responsibility to manage. Okay? Uh, That is given to Adam uh, and it is also given to us. And so we talked uh, a while back about how there were three approaches to this, uh, this dominion mandate. 
The first one, and when we see it laid out in Scripture, it is almost as if God uh, took the dominion mandate and, and wanted to show us, you know, you can do it this way, you can do it this way, or you can do it my way, <laughs> right? <laughs> this way, this way, or my way. Uh, and so in the first part of Genesis, you have uh, the individualism approach, right? So we're going to take the dominion mandate and uh, we are going to subdue the world for me, right? I'm going to subdue the world and make it mine. I, I'm going to get what I want, if I ha- even if I have to kill you to get it, right? I'll take it from you. I will kill you. I will get a bunch of other guys together and we'll go and fight you. There was violence and bloodshed and war. Um, and what did God do with that world? Okay, so he gave them a while to figure it out. This doesn't work. <laughs> this is not how you do the dominion mandate, right? You don't do this by um, carrying it out for yourself. So after the flood, the other approach was tried, that, that being the many. <clears throat> so you get the one and then the many. Um, the Tower of Babel was the first United Nations experiment, right? They said, let's get together in the name of man and we will take dominion in the name of man. We will make a name for ourselves, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, in fact, we are going to force God's hand. We are going to make a name for ourselves. We're gonna build a tower to heaven. And we know what happened there as well, right? The Lord goes, mm, no, no, that's not it either, right? That's not how you carry out the dominion mandate. Um, so you, it's not individualism and it is not the United Nations. So what comes next in the story, in the book of Genesis? Covenant. God establishes his covenant. And he says, look, you guys don't get it. It's not like this and it's not like this. It's not the one, it's not the many. It's my covenant, right? This is how you're going to do this. <clears throat> it's God's solution to the one and the many problem. Dominion in the name of God. Dominion in the name of God. This is where Israel was as Moses and Aaron went to speak to Pharaoh. Their spirit was broken. They had the dominion mandate and the covenant and promise through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they had waited so long. Remember, how many years was it from the promise to Abraham to the Exodus? 400 years. Okay, so they had waited so long, uh, and many despaired, turning their back on God. We're told in the text um, that they, um, what does the text say again? They would not listen because their spirit was broken. Spirit was broken. <clears throat> but, capital B U T. God continued on with his plan anyway. We know that he doesn't stop carrying out his plans when we lose faith or when we despair or when despair overtakes us and we become numb and apathetic. Remember, that's some of the symptoms of despair. No, our God continues carrying out his plans. Exodus 6.13 was the end of our text last week. Exodus 6.13. Take a look there. Uh, That sentence begins with the word, but. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 
to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Moses delivered God's message to the Hebrews, and they didn't listen because of their broken spirit. And Moses complained when God told him to give the same message to Pharaoh. So this but in 6.13 is a big but. I don't mean to be crude, but I like big buts. <clears throat> um, but, because they're always so important, right? The big but is a contrast, and so with one T, okay? I just want to be clear about that. Um, bring the people of Israel out of Egypt, okay? So, yes, Israel despaired. Yes, Israel was broken. They wouldn't listen. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Whether we like it or not, God means to bring his people out of Egypt. And he will do it. Not so we can stand around in the desert and smile at each other either. Deliverance is for consecration. And consecration is for mission. Follow me there? Deliverance is for consecration, and consecration is for mission. We are not delivered from Egypt so we can stand around in the desert and smile at each other. <clears throat> what did they do? They went to Sinai. Sinai, there to be consecrated, to be prepared for a mission. What was their mission? To take the land, right? The reason for Sinai was Canaan. You follow me there? The reason for Sinai was Canaan. They must be consecrated in order to carry out their mission. Israel was delivered from Egypt to be consecrated at Sinai for a mission of divine judgment and covenant dominion. That is the message of the scriptures, covenant dominion. They had to come out of Egypt in order to be prepared to go into Canaan. You've got to come out of Egypt to go into Canaan. What could Moses do? The Lord had spoken to him directly, in person, not through another, not through a prophet. God himself spoke to Moses. <clears throat> I don't think we fully grasp the timeless importance of this charge given to Moses. God told him to lead a people who had almost completely lost all understanding of who they were, many of whose goals and ambitions were simply focused on their own comfort and pleasure who had turned their backs on God, ignoring his word because of the daily pressures of life. To any who would lead among God's people, and this ought to include every Christian husband and father, and in various ways every Christian, the charge is to lead people out of something and into something. Selfishness and sin is our Egypt, and the world around us is our Canaan. Do you feel yourself between those two points? God calls you out of your Egypt in order to send you into your Canaan. And most of us are somewhere in between, struggling to come out of Egypt and trying our hardest not to go into Canaan. <laughs> we don't want to go there and, and do the fighting that needs to be done. But that is the call the message in the scriptures, the dominion mandate, uh, we are called out of Egypt 
and into Canaan. Now that I've preached one sermon, let's take a look at our text and see if there's another one in there somewhere. <clears throat> um, <laughs> because that's... So, we're looking at Exodus six fourteen through 30. The genealogy of Moses and Aaron. Anytime you get to... What do you do when you get to a genealogy in the Bible? Aren't you glad that I read this and, and you didn't have to? It's, uh, all these names. Um, there, there's good reason for these names. There's a lot of uh, information here. Um, let me just kind of sum up real quick this, this first section, the genealogy section. After a brief genealogy section, basically, inserted for reference, that is, verses 14 through 25, Moses brings us back to the story by reminding us of his, his difficult situation and of the major challenge facing God's plan to bring the Hebrews out of Egypt. That's what the second part of this chapter is all about. It's basically a little reference section that Moses inserts, um, and then he brings us right back to the story at the end of it, okay? So it's sort of like a, this little reference section is just uh, stuck in there, kind of out of place. Um, Okay, so the, the, the genealogy section, verse 14 it says, these are the heads of their father's households. Now, if we were just starting there, um, I'm going to try and connect, connect this with a little grammar lesson real quick. Everyone know what a pronoun is? Pronoun is a word that takes the place of a noun. Okay? Whenever you encounter one of these, they're usually personal pronouns are like I, you, he, she, or it, we, you all, they. There's also the possessives like their, which is in our text here, right? Their fathers. I would like you to think, if you're not already in the habit, get in the habit of, especially when you're talking with people, um, let me use another fancy grammar word, antecedent. An antecedent. Does everyone know what an antecedent is? Pronouns you've heard of. What about antecedents? Well, if a pronoun is a word that takes the place of a noun, the antecedent is the word that has been replaced by the pronoun. It's the word that goes before. Okay? The antecedent to a pronoun is the word to which a pronoun refers. So when you read in 13, 6, uh, 14, these are the heads of their father's houses. What question ought you to ask? Whose father's houses? Right? Or do you think you know already? Well, you might. If you've been you know, reading carefully, you might go, oh, yeah, I, I know, I'm following. It makes perfect sense. But if you just jump into a sentence right away and you see a pronoun, you, get it. you should try to track back and figure out, okay, well, who exactly is being talked about here? Okay? These are the heads of their father's houses. <clears throat> um, so the insinuation is, the suggestion is, well, that is, uh, you go back to verse 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. So, the heads of their father's households will be the people of Israel, right? He's not going to give us Pharaoh's, probably, right? These are the, uh, um, the, the, the heads of uh, their father's houses. Okay. <clears throat> but, only, he only gives us Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. How many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. Um, yeah, he gives us three. Right? So Moses seems to, he starts out doing something and he seems like, that's about far enough. 
That's really all I wanted to do. <laughs> These are the heads of their father's houses. There's Reuben, there's Simeon, and there's Levi. Oh, yeah, and we're from Levi, and so that's us. Okay, now back to the story. That's kind of what's going on here. <clears throat> um, there's a whole lot of detail about Moses and Aaron in this genealogy, and nothing about the nine other tribes. Um, we'll have reason to come back to this reference section later in our studies, especially regarding someone named Korah and Phineas. Phineas. Uh, is a very interesting character in Numbers. Uh, I'll just, spoiler, spoiler alert, he drives a spear through two people. Um, and God says, you go, Phineas. Well done. <clears throat> okay. Um, I've already spent some time in previous sermons dealing with some of the detail from Moses' genealogy here. Uh, let me just sum up what things we've kind of learned from this. Um, the genealogy kind of flows Jacob, Levi, Kohath, Amram, Moses. You got that, right? Jacob, Levi, Kohath, Amram, Moses. Uh, so there's, there's five generations. <clears throat> um, we know that there are 400 years from the promise to the Exodus, 240 years from entering Egypt to the Exodus. This is a common mistake. Sometimes, often people think uh, the Israelites spent 400 years in Egypt. But for all the math, and I did a bunch of math on this, so let me tell you, I, I spent hours working out numbers here. <clears throat> um, from what I can tell, they spent 240 years in Egypt, <clears throat> um, beginning from uh, the time that Jacob uh, goes in with Joseph, and all the, the whole, all, they all go into Egypt <clears throat> at the end of Genesis, um, and then to the Exodus. That's about 240 years. Uh, remember, Moses is 80 years old at the time of the, of the Exodus, right? 80 years old at the time of Exodus. So if, if five generations, and really four, since Jacob died pretty soon after um, going into Egypt, <clears throat> Levi, Kohath, Amram, Moses, um, and you think, well, how's that going to be 400 years? <laughs> right? Well, it's not. It's 240. And Moses is already 80. You see how you can really, things get kind of shortened up a bit. <clears throat> um, and yes, if you were paying attention, Moses' mother was also his great aunt. Okay? Jochebed. Uh, it was she who put Moses in a basket in the Nile. And yes, Moses and Aaron have a son, both have a son named Eliezer. Um, so, uh, it must have been a common popular name, you know, family name or something. Hey, let's, I'm going to call my son, uh, I called my son Eliezer. Uh, among other things, these names and numbers help us to do a little math in figuring out the 400 and the 240 years. So I'm not going to dwell on the genealogy anymore. <clears throat> After the genealogy, verses 26 through 30, Moses brings us back to the story by reminding us of his difficult situation and of the major challenge facing God's plan to bring the Hebrews out of Egypt. So Moses, uh, if you take a look at our text here... <clears throat> 26, verse 26. Uh, <laughs> These are the Aaron and Moses, whom the Lord said, um, and then he repeats the same thing again um, at the end of verse 27. It was this Moses and this Aaron. I thought that was very peculiar. Um, <clears throat> in case we might have confused them with some other Moses and Aaron. Um, yeah, it was these guys. Uh, in verse 27, this Moses and this Aaron. Um, <clears throat> we get the impression that Moses had put down the writing for a while and then come back to it in a different state of mind. 
He seems to be concerned that we know who he and Aaron are in relation to Levi. Um, The theories of some Bible scholars run wild here about conflicts within a priestly class of the Israelites. Um, as basically some, some conflicts within the priestly class uh, about the authorship of the Pentateuch and um, as, as the text of the Pentateuch is being written and edited. Most of it is, um, isn't worth the time it takes to read so far. And the stuff that I've read, um, it's just, a lot of it's kind of silly. Some of, it, some of it's useful for deeper, deeper study into the text, which we will not do today. Um, but there are places in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where you look at that and go, Moses probably didn't write that. Um, there, there are some things that just kind of don't fit chronologically. So it looks like God did allow, in fact, uh, the last section of, I think it's Deuteronomy, uh, it seems like Joshua probably wrote. Um, so, um, but like I said, most of this stuff... Uh, what scholars make out, and it is an odd section. It just kind of it jumps out at you like, this is weird, and why is Moses trying so hard to remind us who he is? Um, <clears throat> but there it is. All right, um, 28 through 30. Moses now brings us back to the story by repeating what happened in verses 10 through 12. Um, so let's take a look at 28, um, 28 and 30. 28 through 30. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses... I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? All right. So he sums up the central problem. This is the central problem of the Exodus, by the way. Okay, here's the central problem of the Exodus. How will Pharaoh listen to me? That's really at least the first half of the book of Exodus. Uh, How will Pharaoh listen to me? And we know kind of we know the answer to that, don't we? It takes like ten things. God's got to do some stuff, right? But He's going to do it. <clears throat> okay, so that's that's the text. Let's recall from last week uh, the form of the covenant which God instructed Moses to deliver to the people. Okay, just kind of a quick summary of this. What He says, uh, He tells Moses, "Say this to the people." Um, you know, they're upset with you, Moses, but bring this message to them. I am Yahweh. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will make you my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am your God, that I have done these things. I will bring you into the land. I am Yahweh. But the people wouldn't listen to that. And now Moses wonders, If God's own people wouldn't listen, how will Pharaoh listen? We also saw last week that the answer to despair is in the sovereignty of God, right? So the short answer, I mean, how how would we put the short answer? Moses wants to know, how will Pharaoh listen? Pay careful attention. Pharaoh will listen for the same reason that Pharaoh wouldn't listen. You follow? Pharaoh will listen for the same reason that Pharaoh wouldn't listen. Okay? 
Because God determined ahead of time that he wouldn't listen. God controlled Pharaoh. Why will Pharaoh listen in the end? Because God determined that he would. So whatever your Egypt, whatever your Pharaoh, God is in control. He got you there, and he will get you out. What kind of Israelite are you? What kind of Israelite do you want to be? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for your sovereignty, Lord, that uh, we know from beginning to end you are Alpha and Omega. Nothing is beyond your control, that this is your story. You are sovereign in it. You are sovereign over it. Um, And we praise you. We want to be a people that praises you. We want to live in the light and not in the darkness. We want to be free of Egypt, and we want to go into the land. We want righteousness to rule and reign, and not only in our own hearts, not only in our own homes, but in our land and among the people with whom we live from day to day. We know that you will do it, Father, but we cry out to you continually to do it, to bring it about to let it be, let righteousness be restored to our land. We pray that you would soon uh, make our pharaohs listen and deliver us from our Egypts and call us into the land. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray this in the good and strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm supposed to say, blessed be the living and active word of God. Amen.